Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and today we're going to be talking about the first track on Kate Bush's debut album, The Kick Inside, called Moving. today we have somebody who's heard me play Kate Bush a lot around the house because he's married to me. We have my husband Andrew Ling. You're welcome to play her even more. You don't <laughs> always have to put headphones on. Well it's because there's the whole thing where I'm worried that I'm bothering people so that's why. Just play it loud. If we could afford it I would put speakers all over the house so that you could <laughs> actually play your music at a good volume instead of just out of your kind of scratchy computer speaker. Or out of my tinny iPhone speaker, yeah. So Andrew Link is here to talk with me about this song, Moving, which is the first track on her album, The Kick Inside. It was also the first song that she performed for her uh, first concert tour, and until she did her Before the Dawn shows in 2014, it was the only concert tour. This opens with Whale Song. Um, it scares my cats every time I put it on, I will say. <laughs> I didn't notice that it scared them until I was doing some sewing stuff, and since uh, I've got three cats, you'll probably, you'll probably hear about them throughout the podcast episodes. I'm the crazy cat lady with three cats. One of them follows me everywhere, and when I put this on, the whale song came up, and it freaked them out. Like, she looked around like, what is that noise? I've never heard that before. So what is the deal with the whale song? Do you know why she... Because yes. she only uses it um, on moving and the the second track. I don't recall oh, hearing yeah, the, it anywhere else. Yeah, she uses it leading into saxophone song. The reason that she's got whale song on there is because the, the song is... In her words, it's about the beauty of movement, and to her, whales are graceful creatures. So that's why she included the sound of humpback whales. So those are beautiful humpback whales. You you have in your notes yeah. that it was apparently written as a tribute to Lindsay Kemp, uh, her mime teacher. Yeah, it was her. He was her mime teacher. She got signed by EMI when she was about sixteen. And depending on who you talk to, either they sat on her for a while because, oh, she needs time to grow, or we're putting her with a bunch of producers and we don't know quite what to do with her. I'm inclined to go for the latter. Uh, in fact, the guy who discovered her, the uh, lead guitarist and co-lead singer for Pink Floyd, David Gilmore, who was a friend of the family, he stated in an interview what he's like, yeah, this was actually the real story here. When you when you discovered Kate Bush, she was like 16 or something? 15, I think, yeah. Is it true that they they just held her material back until they thought she was old enough? Uh, I don't... What's, what's I, the truth I, of that story? I think that's the, uh, I think that's the record company blurb, you know? The other thing. And what they were actually doing was that they were putting her with various different producers. They didn't want to use the guy that I had originally used some reason and I think the delay was more about thinking she hadn't got enough good songs 
and the producers just not making, getting the right thing out of her because they were putting over the wrong people. So in the meantime, while she got signed and everybody was figuring out what to do with her, she went and took some dance classes. And one of the classes that she signed up for was taught by this mime artist named Lindsay Kemp. And she first saw him in a performance, it was called Flowers, I believe was the, the work. And it was supposed to be this beautiful, graceful thing where he was just conveying emotion without saying anything at all. That's what the mime is. And she was so enraptured by it that she went and signed up for one of his classes. And all of that will come in later when she decided to start doing the, uh, the tour of life and how she wanted to have this big theatrical show with lots of dancers and mime artists. Hey, sounds a little familiar, kind of the predecessor to a lot of your major pop artists doing lots of theatrical things. So that's who she wrote this about. She wrote this about Lindsay Kemp and how he opened her up to this other world of expression, whereas before she was just this shy, introverted girl sitting at the piano and suddenly now, oh, wait, I can add some movement to it. Take another call. It's Adele Almascati, I think, from Hull. Hello, Adele. Hello. Hello. Hello, kids. Hi. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, before I ask you, I would like to say it's really good pleasure talking to you on the phone this evening. Oh, it's really nice to talk to you. Yeah, I'd like to ask you, uh, what, made, what made you think of uh, starting your move and dancing? What, moving and dance, yeah. dancing while I'm singing? Yeah. Um, well, that was really inspired by a person called Lindsay Kemp, who I saw a few years ago in an amazing stage show, and I'd just never seen anything like it. This guy was moving without saying anything, and the whole audience were just completely lost, you know, they were just mad over him. And I'd never seen anything so inspiring, and I thought that maybe if I could move and sing at the same time, maybe I'd be able to, to get across that sort of emotion. Um, it's just something I'm trying. <laughs> Didn't you have it in school or anything? I'm sorry? Didn't you study in school or anything? Uh, yeah, I trained for a couple of years at a dance school after that. Um, but it wasn't really mine, it was more modern dance. Uh, but I learned an awful lot from that. I really did. Yeah, I, I see here you have a quote from a, a Japanese TV interview in 1978 where she says that uh, you, uh, the, she was asked, you must have had an inspiration when you composed your song Moving. And she replies, yes, yes, I did. I actually wrote the song for my teacher, Lindsay Kemp. But the inspiration came from whales, the big fish, you know? They just sing so beautifully, and that's why they are on the beginning of the track. Yep. And also, they're there in the live versions. When we get to the live versions a little later on, they're there to open the show and everything like that. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the the lyrics here and it, it is uh kind of typically Katie uh odd. Yes. A little uh, bit but quirky odd. I yeah, like, yeah, quirky, quirky odd. Quirky odd. Uh, what I mean by that is just the just when you feel like you're getting an under uh, getting a grasp of what the lyrics might mean something new comes out that's mm-hmm. 
sort of twisting what you think. I mean, the first stanza here um, almost looks like opening herself up to a new relationship. But then when you get into the second uh, verse... It's difficult to to see. I mean, how I'm moved, how you move me. With your beauty's potency, you give me life. Please don't let me go. You crush you... the lily in my soul. My favorite line in the song because it's so beautifully evocative. Okay, talk to me about that because I'm looking at this and I'm part of where my bafflement <laughs> is. I'm looking at this on, on one hand going, wow, this is really pretty and you're opening yourself up to new experiences, maybe a new person, maybe a new relationship or just a new form of beauty that you're beholding. But then we have twice in here, she repeats, you crushed the, the lily in my soul. And mm. I was like, okay, where's she going with that? Because that, that doesn't sound very beautiful to me. Yeah. Here's, here's how I kind of interpret that, because that's like my favorite line in the song, because it's so evocative. I think that one, it goes back to her initial inspiration, which was Lindsay Kemp, and she saw him in this production called flowers where he was doing these beautiful things with flowers so i feel like it's part of it is a reference to that but also that i almost think of it as like you're you're kind of you're changing something in me you're helping me to like kind of leave behind how i felt before when i was maybe a little bit tense and hadn't quite found myself yet and now that's that's been taken care of and now i'm like oh wow i'm i'm losing myself in the beauty of how you move and i think literally like the how you move how you move me i actually think of that like a little play on words because it's i think she's talking about how about watching him moving on the stage and then also how you move me how you move how you move me yeah that's oh you're moving me as in you're you're causing something to happen in me and so it's she's playing with move, how move can literally be somebody like gesticulating around <laughs> versus moving somebody is in making somebody feel something emotionally. That's how I interpret it. What do you think about the um, kind of the sounds, the music and the vocalizations? I, uh, what, let's start with the music of the song. Right. I noticed while I was listening that there was a lot of 
obviously we start the with the whale song but then quickly we're moving in there to kind of uh a, a lot of uh s- like light brushed snare drum i think it is uh, it's mm-hmm. been so long since i played drums um I, th- I think it's like a brushed snare drum and some very light drumming and it gets a little bit complicated and almost jazzy at times but it's never overwhelming and never loud and stays very much on that lighter trebly end of the spectrum of sound so mm-hmm. uh what, what do you feel about the 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 audio production first and the music and then we'll get into the vocalizations <laughs> <laughs> well i like that the drums don't overwhelm the track. In fact, on a lot of these songs, um, and listening through the album later on when we get to Room for the Life, that also doesn't have a whole lot of like pounding drums. And I think some of it is the production that it that music from that time period tended to be more trouble heavy. But I like that it kind of has like a slight jazzy sort of feel. Like I hear a little little bit of high little bit of hi-hat in the chorus when she starts the how I move how you move me and I like that that the drums don't take away from everything else going on in the song instead the focus is on this soaring vocal melody and a little bit of the pretty piano in there I like that it's it's not taking away from it so about that vocal melody, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you say the vocal melody, but I, I, I caught that sometimes at least three separate layers in there. So what's she doing with her voice and how, what would you say is your favorite part? Um, well, let's start with that. What is your favorite part of the, um, the vocal layering going on in this song? At the very, very end where she's doing that, you crush the lily in my soul and there's a there, I, I can't do it because I'm not a soprano. <laughs> but she has these little high parts like da 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 dee dee, kind of like that. I like the the. I want to know like how many tracks. It sounds like there's like at least three or four different harmonies going on in there that she stacked, which I think is awesome. You crush the That's, um, and as for her main vocal melody, I like that it goes up and down. It goes up and down in a way that you do not expect for a song, like, especially from a pop artist. She, because I think right off the bat, when you listen to this, you go, okay, this is a little different because it's not pop. Like Kate Bush is not pop. But Kate Bush is just Kate Bush. She's just her own genre. She's just that awesome. And I like that the vocal melody moves. It goes up and down a lot, almost in a way like a Broadway song. Like Broadway songs and musical theater, they tend to go all over the place to go with the emotion of the song. And she does that on this song. Like she goes up high. She goes a little bit low. But she kind of stays like in the like higher ranges. I, I see where you're making that Broadway uh, comparison because I, I could, based on the lyrics, based on the melody style of the song, I could almost picture this being something performed on stage as like mm-hmm. the uh, 
the introduction to a kind of strange, airy character or uh, the the moment where your heroine meets uh, somebody who is going to steal her heart and then ultimately betray her. Definitely. Like, you know, right off the bat that this is somebody that is a little bit different. Like, most pop women don't tend to sing, like, stay up there in the upper ranges. The only other one I can think of at that time period who was singing high like that, although her voice was starting to change because of her her smoking, is maybe Joni Mitchell. Because Joni Mitchell did sing kind of high up like that, but she didn't stay up there the way that Kate does. Like, Kate sounds like she's obviously a soprano. She can live in the higher ranges and, like, just, like, sail around up there leaving us mezzos who can't quite get that high, like going, oh, oh, I wish I could do that. Well, I mean, clearly she can do the higher ranges because it's not just in the album version. Um, Mm -hmm. You've mentioned something about various television versions. Uh, So she performed this... Not just on stage and album, she also performed it live? Yeah, she... she I mean, on, on television, she provi- performed it in, like, live TV appearances? Yeah, she she went to uh, Japan and actually performed it for the Tokyo Music Festival. She didn't win, but she did get silver for that performance. She also took part in a special in the Netherlands, and it was a TV special that was dedicated to the opening of a new amusement park, and I hope I do not butcher this name, this word, Efteling, E-F-T-E-L-I-N-G, Efteling. So they were doing a TV, a TV performance with her, and she performed Moving and several other songs, and it was all her just like moving around and singing live to a backing track against some other rides that they were going to be opening. So she did perform it on various TV shows around Europe. Um, What was her first performance of it? Her first performance, it was not long after the album was released, and she went on a show called Saturday Nights at the Mill, where she did this and Them Heavy People, which is also on this album, That was on February 25th, 
So when did the album come out? I see here you have a mark of when the Japanese single was released, mm-hmm. but when did the actual album, The Kick Inside, come out? When was that released in, uh, I guess, initially and then uh, globally? All right, so The Kick Inside was released on February 17th, 1978. So this song was recorded along with all the other songs on that album between January or between july and august of 77 and by that point she was not quite 19 she was not not quite 19 years old she was born in 1950 july 30th 1958 so did she perform this one live on the tour of life yes she did this was the first song that she came out with so the tour of life was her first big tour because until then she was just a shy introverted girl singing at the piano who just happened to be insanely freaking talented then she did do some pub gigs when after she got signed and the record company told her hey you need to have more some more experience playing live she played with a band called the kt bush band and they were made up of some friends of the family and that's also where she met her longtime collaborator uh, del palmer and then um when she got signed and then suddenly her her first albums took off really really well she uh they started prodding her like hey when are you going to start doing live because she had just done she did Top of the Pops, she did other various things all around um, Europe and the UK, but she had never done a concert. Like, people pay you the big bucks and they go see you. So this was the first song she did on that tour. And I like the live version because I like hearing how artists actually sound when they're not doing multiple takes of things and it's just them and it's a little more raw. It is very similar to the album version, like note for note. There's none of like going off on like way emotional ad libs or anything like that. Like one of my other favorite artists likes to do, Tori Amos. And instead, it's it's very much like the album version, except that this time you're seeing the visual of her moving around in a leotard. It's actually very beautiful. The footage for that was released on uh, live at the Hammersmith Odeon, and you can also find the footage on YouTube. tour which she did in April to May of 1979 and if that was just across Europe she didn't go to the U.S. to perform in fact the only time she's even performed in the U.S. was on Saturday Night Live. Did she perform this one on Saturday Night Live? No she did The Man with the Child in His Eyes. Okay. Yeah that was her only TV appearance was Saturday Night Live but on this one when she did it live she comes out from behind this beautiful gossamer curtain. So when she performed this with the the Tour of Life, so the Tour of Life never came to the United States? Never did. 
Oh, that's too bad. I know. So <laughs> when she performed this song on the tour of life, what was the performance like? Because I know that was a very um, stage performance heavy uh, concert series. It was mm-hmm. very theatrical um, you know, the, to the point where I believe you told me that she actually was one of the first people to use a wireless headset mic um, that they kind of had to custom build because yep. she wanted to be able to perform with her hands while still moving around and singing. Yep. So how did she do the performance of moving when she was uh, on the tour of life? Well, the performance begins with the whale song. And there's this beautiful gossamer curtain that's covering the stage. And as the whale song gets a little bit louder, the beginning piano riff starts. And then she comes out from behind the curtain in this really pretty blue leotard. And at that point, she's the only visible person on the stage. She has a backing band, but they are behind the curtain and you can hear them playing, but she's the only one moving out on stage. And so she comes out and she's, she's got this beautiful leotard. She's got like, looks like glittery kind of makeup on where she looks so the, the lights come on her and she's just shining and everything. And she's got her like nice frizzy 70s hair. And then she's got the wireless mic and uh, they built it from a bent coat hanger. And that was the first appearance that she did with this wireless headset that was, again, coat hanger that was bent. They were trying to figure out how to make this work. And the hardest part of making that headset mic was trying to get it so that it wasn't too close to her face, but just far enough away that it could pick up her voice. And above all, one major problem had yet to be solved. She wouldn't be able to dance and sing and hold a microphone at the same time an entirely new vocal sound system would have to be developed. How complicated has the sound been for the tour? Uh, very complicated, actually. We've had uh, quite a few problems to work on. Um, Mainly the making up of Kate herself um, from the dance point of view. How have you solved that? Um, with a very small microphone. <laughs> A uh, small mic on a boom arm. It's, uh, it's going to be used from the side of her head. Um, the most difficult ones are where I've got the headset and I'm moving a lot. It's an amazing feeling of freedom because, like, there's nothing in your hands yet you can hear your voice being projected miles away. It's incredible, but um, it's not quite in its full design yet. There are just a few things that are wrong with it, and it's not always right in front of my mouth. But we're getting that seen too. This, the entire performance is her out there on the stage, moving around and using a lot of her arms. It's a beautiful, beautiful performance. And it's easy to find on YouTube. You can just type in Kate Bush moving live 1979. And that's all it really is. It's just her moving around in time to the song. And it's, she, the way that she moves, like she moves in a way that really epitomizes the song, that she's like using her body and her arms to express this wonderful desire that she now has to express herself. And adding that to music, which was kind of a big thing, because actually when she was doing her her tour stuff, they uh, 
at the time punk was big and punk well you go out and you you sing your songs and that's it but along comes this this uh this shy british girl who goes no i want to put on like a whole big theatrical thing and like going out and just playing your song straight was something you were supposed to do like i've even seen around that around the same time period i was watching a abba documentary when it showed them playing live they just came out sang their songs and that was it like there they didn't have dancers on stage they didn't have projections behind them it was just they came out and sang it straight and it was fun to listen to but i would take kate stuff over that any day because at least she's trying to do something interesting and well it's like the early days of music videos um you have to (laughs) Any medium of art is going to take time to develop and mature. I mean, you, you, you sometimes you'll have revolutionary people who just kind of, you know, come along and change how a, a particular art form is done. But in many, many cases, even seemingly revolutionary art forms are built on previous styles. I mean, you even can take someone like, uh, Terry Gilliam, who has such a unique <laughs> visual style in cinema. Um, well, yes, to a degree, but he's also basing a lot of his visual effects on surrealism in paintings and photography. Uh, you know, what you th- might think of as a Terry Gilliam style is often um, his interpretation of styles that were more pioneered by Dali or other surrealists in film and photography and even in paintings. So, you know, the, the idea that, you know, Kate is coming along and trying all of these new things on stage. Um, it, it, it's new with music and it's, it's fascinating to see somebody taking techniques that would probably have more existed in like stage pantomime or Mm -hmm. in a theater that was telling a story and you're taking these two things and mashing them together you're taking theatrical technique and mixing it with live performance of music or you're taking um Blah, 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 blah. I don't need to add that or there. Well, and also, I mean, kind of around that time period, there was David Bowie putting (laughs) on a lot of theatrical, very theatrical performances. And I would not be surprised if some of her inspiration for her own shows came from watching him. Are you aware of any connections between Kate and David Bowie? I know she was deeply connected with Peter Gabriel at later Peter Gabriel was the one that she was like kind of buddies with. No, none with... I know that they moved in the same circles, and I'm sure they said hello and maybe chatted a few times, but she never collaborated with him, and he the same with her. It would have been really cool, because they were t- they're two very intriguing people, and it would be interesting to have seen them do something together. So uh, how many different recorded versions are there? Because I know some songs you have, you know, you've, you've got the single version, you've got the album version, you've got the remix version, the club version. Oh, the how, yeah. <laughs> how, how many variations are there of this? Um, I mean, did she redo this song uh, on her director's cut album? No, did, not at all. Oh, my. 
it would have been interesting. I just seriously, it would have been interesting to hear her do this for Director's Cut. Now, Director's Cut, we're going to talk about that later. Director's Cut was Kate's album of remakes of some of her songs from uh, The Sensual World and The Red Shoes. Those are going to be later, her later albums. And they, she redid some of her songs because she felt like the production could have been better, or her vocal could have been better, or what. But she only stuck to her later stuff, which, okay, by that time, her voice had changed a lot. But it would be interesting to hear her do some of her earlier work just moved down a little bit. I think she could do it with practice. The only other version of this song is a demo version that leaked a couple years ago. That version is pretty similar to the album version. Uh, it was something that instead of it being recorded in Air Studios, big recording studio in London, it was recorded with her backing band, the KT Bush Band, and it honestly doesn't sound that much different, except that maybe she sounds a little bit more timid. Now, this was released as a single in Japan, but it was not released as a single in the UK or the US or anywhere else. When I started really getting into her stuff, um, I got the kick inside on a cassette tape from a thrift store. I know it wasn't a thrift store. It was a flea market. It had it was a copy that somebody had dubbed onto a recordable tape and they recorded this album on one side and then there was a Cindy Lauper one on the other. Talk about two quirky females together. <laughs> Cindy Lauper and Kate Bush. And I remember this one definitely standing out to me and the music nerd in me loves listening to her music because she uses a lot of unusual chords up against each other that you you go wait a minute why are you using an a major chord in an otherwise d minor song huh <laughs> these notes don't usually go together but it works and in particular in this song i love the chord progression Tell me about some of the more unique covers that have been done of this song. Um, there was a Mandarin cover 
I don't speak Mandarin. <laughs> I don't know. Please if... tell me it was by Jackie Chan. No, it wasn't. Oh. It wasn't by Jackie Chan. <laughs> well, the, well, well, no, I'm serious because he's actually yeah, a, a massive pop star in China. He, you learn. I, see, I already knew this, but just in case you're listening and you're learning the check. Really? Yeah, I mean, Jackie Chan is known as a comedian and an action movie uh, star here in America, but in, in, in China, he's better known for his pop music. Yeah. <laughs> no, this was not sung by Jackie Chan. Oh, you make me sad. <laughs> it, would be inter- it would be interesting to hear this sung by guys. Um, no, this was sung in Mandarin by, I want, I have, I'm going to pronounce her, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, Valen Su, HSU. I don't know many Mandarin to know if her lyrics are a direct translation of the English lyrics or if it's just a case of an adaptation where you're you're using the same melody but not the same lyrics. Uh, see my way, originally come debutude. So this is this is moving sung in Chinese. listening to cover versions because I like to hear what other people can do with somebody else's song in particular if you can make the song your own and there was somebody on YouTube I uh, the, the username is Illysard I-L-I-L-Y-S-S-A-R-D and they did a piano instrumental of this song which by the way sounds absolutely beautiful I'm always a fan of uh, instrumental versions version apparently uh, the guy plays all of the instruments on the song and it's a guy singing it and as we're going along here when I'm talking about cover versions I found a lot of Kate Bush covers sung by men which I find very intriguing because her music is hard to sing for a girl <laughs> I can't sing most of her stuff because I'm a mezzo I'm not a 
like way stay up there soprano but i see a lot of male covers which i find really interesting so this is one song by a guy moving stranger does it really matter as long as you're not afraid to feel different from the original except no, it's a woman singing i mean I, I i really like the sir sparkle jet version because it has oh yeah sir sparkle jet that is his username yes yeah I, I i really like the sir sparkle jet cover because uh it's well sung it's well performed and i'm also a sucker for youtube videos where they show the same person performing different parts mm-hmm. of a song see uh, peter so, hollands yeah it's very creative and another version, this is one sung by a girl. I tried contacting her about coming on this, uh, coming on the podcast to talk about this song, but I haven't heard from her. Is this the Katie Piaisant? Yep, Katie, pa- I want to say Paisant because it looks French, but it could be wrong, it could be Paisant. She goes by KP Ray, and she does a version, it's just straight piano and voice, but... She does a she does a really awesome job. Like she does she sounds like herself. It doesn't sound like she's listened to the original so much that oh I'm gonna copy exactly how she sang it. you should try messaging her again or leaving her a comment because i know this is from 2014 but she actually replied to a comment on her page two months ago oh okay well maybe i just need to do that then yeah i'd leave a comment and send her another message just to try yeah she doesn't have a facebook page anymore for her music so i found her on Bandcamp. and messaged her for Bandcamp, but i haven't heard from her but i was really intrigued to to hear 
a woman to hear another woman singing Kate and actually sounding like herself instead of oh like I said listen to the original so much I have to sing it just like her like karaoke it wasn't karaoke at all and then the last cover version I found was a band hub cover I'm not terribly familiar with band hub but I understand that it's a site where you can collaborate with other people in real time on music well they did a version of moving that where you actually see all the different people playing their instruments and singing and the username was save as so that's a band hub collaboration which was really cool to hear and they kept it kind of they kept it very organic much like the original like not a lot of no other synths or anything like that on this song well i think that kate bush has created a beautiful song and moving is one of my favorites from the kicking i might even say it's a moving song yes indeed it's very moving indeed. well thank you for having me on your podcast thanks for being on here If you have an absolute favorite Kate Bush song, or you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to, follow me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast, or email me, KB, that's B as in boy, KBCast at LinkMedia.com. And if you want to talk about a favorite Kate song or songs with me on a later episode, because you're just dying to talk about it with a fellow fan, definitely email me or tweet at me. I would love to hear from you. See everybody next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.